This is Blue Collar Culture, where you don't need ping pong tables, a cereal bar, or nap pods to attract and retain real A players. Join us for the next hour where we speak with down-to-earth leaders that understand what it takes to win with a blue collar culture. Now here are your hosts, Jeremy McLiver and Ryan England. All right. Well, welcome back to another episode of Blue Collar Culture. Today we have as our guest, we have Vinny Fisher. And Vinny is a businessman, an entrepreneur, an author, husband, and a father. He's been married over 20 years to his wife, Debbie, and he has four wonderful children. I think that leaves a couple others out there, doesn't it? Just kidding. <laughs> well, welcome, Vinny. Welcome to the, welcome to the podcast, Vinny. We're, we're happy to have you here. Thanks for having me. And uh, go ahead, Ryan. I was just going to say one of the first questions I like to ask with new guests. Uh, so I don't know a lot about you. I did a little bit of cyber stalking, so mm-hmm. learned a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but uh, tell us your story. Share with us your story. Like, how did you get into business? How did you get here? Feel free to share any of the things you learned along the way as well. But just love to hear your story. Yeah. So, you know, I'm a, actually, this is our 25th year. So a little shout out to Debbie for enduring the years of marriage. And we're in the four teenagers part of our life. So we have four teenagers in our home. And so a little shout out to all that. So I'm actually really busy being a dad, active dad of four teenagers. My side hustle is our company. And so uh, just kind of an interesting time in our life. But looking back, Ryan, you know, you're like the kind of the genesis story of, of Vinny. You know, I, I come from a really broken environment. I'm the first guy in my family that actually graduated college, let alone a secondary school beyond that. I became a lawyer. Uh, was joined a big fancy firm where I was the grinder. I was putting in all the hours, filing all the paperwork, became a corporate M&A guy in the corporate department, had no idea what that meant, kind of got a specialty in tax. And I learned that if I worked really hard in that environment, I could actually pick up a bunch of work. And so we grew up a big law firm, met a whiz-bang internet guy in the process who kind of coaxed me out of the legal services world. And we went on this run for the next 10 years, building out some sizable uh, internet companies. And I had large staffs there. In 2014, I sold off the last one of those. And we opened up what today is fully accountable. Uh, and it's full service company. We have 75 people on our team. We have a corporate office that you know, it's Friday around here, so there's noise and stuff. And hopefully, Ryan, you're not hearing too much of that. But uh, in addition to that, we have homies that are stretched out around the country. And so you know, I was excited when I got the idea of talking about blue-collar culture because we live the idea of culture every day and what we do. And so I'm looking forward to getting under the hood on that. But we do the hard work of all of the reconciliation and accounting every day. So we don't get away from the privilege of doing that work. And so we felt like we resonated with your community real quick when we saw that. That's awesome. So how do you guys define culture over there at Fully Accountable? Like, how would you describe it? Yeah. So, you know, I wrote a book called The CEO's Mindset. And in there, I talked about this concept of what's the real heartbeat of a company. And I think that a real, the heartbeat of a company is me and you. I'm it. I'm, I define our culture. And so as as my personality develops and grows and builds out, so does the cultural DNA of the company. And so if you look at our website and you see caring, competent, and committed, and you look at the sub descriptions of each of those values, you've now just got a glimpse of me. And so we use that as a way to actually hire and defend 
what our DNA of our company looks like. So you'll hear very often go, oh my gosh, your people are so much like you. Thankfully, they're kinder and they're more compassionate because that healthy side of me plays out nicely when it could. Um, but we defend that. So culture looks like our heartbeat. Our heartbeat looks like the uh, the creator of the DNA in our environment. Very cool. I love I love the values. You know, too often uh, companies when they hear about core values, they feel like they're just this warm, fuzzy feeling stuff. And uh, so I'd be interested to hear some of the stories that you have around how these have helped shape your culture, how you use them in hiring, and how you use them even in developing your current employees. Yeah, so as we got a little bit more, you know, as I continue to get more self-aware, I can understand the things that make me tick. So a model around here is, you know, who do you give the most benefit of the doubt to? Well, I'll answer you, right? And so since you get most of the benefit of the doubt, what parts of the quality of your personality would you end up giving the benefit of the doubt to other people in your organization? So if they if it quacks like a duck, it's going to act like a duck. And so we always will say that kind of first and foremost. So what are some examples we use in our hiring process? We think of it as a defense mechanism. So we'll ask one of our things around here is we're caring. So we will never we do not like to be yelled at. So we're not going to yell. And so what does that mean? I didn't like to be yelled at ever. I was raised in an environment where I was yelled at. So I'll ask, we, I, I've been a little bit removed from hiring now, but our team who does will say, hey, should, tell us a time. And the last time you got into a yelling match at the office and how did that, how, how are you able to stand up for yourself? We're not asking, have you ever yelled? We want to know when you did so we can understand it a little bit. Another core part of caring is we tell you the truth regardless of the result because we need you to know what really matters. And that was because I was raised in a world where posing was important. So we kind of, I showed you whatever example of me you needed to know. So in our environment, this idea of lying is a trigger to some other big things. So we'll say, tell us the last time you thought you lied in the office and what was the reason you thought that was okay. We want to hear about these things, not because we're saying you can't lie or you can't yell, but we start to learn things about you as a person so that, for example, a core thing around here is we don't believe in finger pointing. So the first move to do is, you know, we believe in like hurting people hurt people. So they have a thorn in their paw. And so if they're upset about something, well, you did something not to meet their expectations. So let's not be quick to go, but it's not my fault. And so we start learning about you and our culture looks a lot like me because those are triggers that matter a lot in the way that I would want to do business with people. And so we live on the front lines because of that stuff. And that's really the way we use those things. And so committed, you know, I was raised in a corporate environment where you had to be in your office certain times. It didn't make sense to me. To me, what made sense, if you're going to work hard and you promise you're going to get something done. And let's say you're promised it by the end of the day. Well, if your end of the day is five o'clock and it's not done, it better occur to you to call that person you promised something and explain why it didn't happen. Not just wait until sometime down the road when they're really honked off mad at you that it doesn't get done. So that that's our culture. That's who we are. It's because we live those things out. They're not just downloaded off of Apple because it looked cute. Now, I love that. We've got a we're actually working on a book right now. We're actually going to be publishing a book later on this year. And one of the things we talk about is that that idea of core values aren't just, it's not just a word. It's actually the core. It's the foundation of who you are as an organization. And if you can nail that and know exactly what you mean when you say committed, 
when you say caring and you can show people how to demonstrate it, now that can show up in your entire hiring process, your onboarding process, the way you retain employees, even the way you go get customers. And I think that's something that a lot of people miss out on. Those core values are so critical to the success of an organization. Would you agree with that? Totally. Like, you know, one of ours is competence. So we're, we have financial experts. They do a great job at what they do. But one of the things that's funny in providing a service, you're good at something and you will, you can hear in some organizations where people might complain about their clients and I'll say, whoa, 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 whoa. We make money off of ignorance and incompetence. And we've got to be very careful where we complain about things. Our competence is what gives us the privilege to make money. I don't care what service provider you are, uh, whether wh- whatever category that is. And, and so I'm very, very protective of the competence category because, you know, my grandpa would say, don't poop where you eat. And so like words matter. Words matter a lot. And it speaks to your culture. So we we're Ryan, we're fighting that all the time in a good way. You get a couple one bite rules on certain things and certain things are capital punishment things. But, you know, like a good one would be gossip. Not tolerable around here. Once we've educated you through it, we don't do it again. Yeah, we talk. uh, That comes up a lot is what do I do about the water cooler talk? And one of the things that I coach people on is don't ignore it. You can't do that. But realize that that conversation is happening either around the water cooler or out at the happy hour or whatever. It's happening. So be a part of it. And then you can start to control it. Then you can start to eventually get it to go away because people start learning, hey, I can be open and honest and not get in trouble around here. And here's a great um, hack if you want one. So the way, the, way we, the way we deal with it, at least at my level, and that's translated through, is if someone's like, hey, you know, let's say Kevin is mad at Chris. And Kevin said, like, hey, I got this problem with Chris. I'll say, all right, cool. Have you talked to him about it? No. All right, let's call him in. What's um, not right your, now? Bring <laughs> your fence right up to your brother right now. Let's bring it up. Let's deal with it because we can't let the sun set on this. We got to deal with it. And so everyone knows that now. One, I know what people are thinking. Oh, Vinny, no one talks to you in your company about stuff then. No, sometimes I'm just helping them bridge the gap of their insecurity to have that conversation. Other times they've got courage in an organization that promotes people dealing with their offenses, that that allows them to go do that on their own. And so we have less festering bitterness when there's a culture of being able to deal with your offenses. I think one of the things that comes out of that, though, is that you have to really establish trust with your team. Yep. Uh, I was just watching a video that Simon Sinek did, and he talked about the way that the Navy SEALs, uh, they measure performance against trust. Mm. And, you know, performance is, are you good in the field? Do I trust you with my life? Yeah. And the trust part of it is, is I, do I trust you with my money and my wife? And, and that's the saying the SEALs use. And I think when you can establish that kind of trust, like what you're talking about, they will come to you and say, hey, I know he's going to help me through this, not make me feel bad for complaining or whining or whatever. Absolutely. I, I'll tell you, you know, the whack-a-mole game when you go to the, the fair, you know, yeah. I, I think often like about that, I watch fellow leaders when they like emasculate or completely embarrass someone on their team and they, they, they kind of ride them for something that maybe they went a little too far on. I'm like, that's the whack-a-mole. Why would they ever stick their head back up and want to do anything ever again? Like, and we got to be real careful. And I look at times where I didn't have my best days and I did stuff like that. And hopefully I have less days like that than I do more and, and, and really try to build people up because our asset and our corporate and our company, you know, the, the ability to grow beyond my shadow and all of our clients, thankfully, the number one thing we have is a team that really puts 
our clients first. And I think it's because we put each other first. So could you elaborate on that a little bit more? Like, how do you move towards that? I think a lot of our listeners are going to be like, oh, that's, that's great. That's one of those pie in the sky things about being able to put others first and being able to support each other. Can you talk about some real practical things that you've seen work to help you get towards that? All right. So we deal with finances, right? So we're an outsourced fractional accounting and finance company where you basically hire us because we win back time at a fraction of the cost and we have a lot more resources. So time, money, and resources. So we're always dealing with businesses that have either cash constraints or will have or do have cash constraints. And we're always dealing with cash flow. So we always say when you someone's got tough, tight money, we got to be able to love them through that. They're upset about a situation. Well, we try to love our love our clients through that. But if the attacking of someone who's really angry starts attacking one of our people, well, we call me grandpa around here. Grandpa will get on the phone. I'll have a conversation with the client. Like, we don't treat our people like that. Do you treat your people like that? And sometimes, you know, we get a, you know, a client like, hey, man, sorry, I went too far. Here's why. We learned the story. We're all good. Sometimes I'm like, that's exactly how I treat my people. Well, I'm helping them that, that be their last month with us. Wow. So you use it not just with your team, but with clients and everybody. I, my team's first. And because my team's first, they're dedicated harder for our clients. Mm. So our team's first. I, I, I actually had that wrong for so long, guys. I, I actually put clients first and the team suffered. And I went through a journey of realizing I had to be honest about that. And when I really battle to put team first, even when they're wrong, I'll walk them through how we deal with the client um, because they know they, they can come to me and we work through it. And so we do truly believe in a culture of, of team first. And I know the famous entrepreneur Richard Branson says, put your team first. Well, I think we do our we do at least a good job of trying to live that every day around here. Very cool. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, growing some body shops. Like, like I said, we come from blue collar environments ourselves. So I was, I was growing some body shops and we had the motto, if you make a decision, whether we think it's right or wrong, we will back you as long as you can tell us how it lived up to our values. Yeah. Or, or I will help walk you in the middle of the street and shoot you if it doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> and so sometimes, sometimes they had explained how it lived up to our value and you're like, no, that's not it but you could tell that there was sincerity in it. And it was a great training opportunity to get them to live our values. And after time, you know, they, they got it. And like, I think you had the gossip question. When I say after time, I mean a very short time. Um, this is what this value means. We are articulating it very clearly. They began to understand how to make those decisions in that, in that format. And you know, the customer isn't always right. That's right. Um, and, and I'll tell you, if, I, if I'm not living out those values, why would I expect my people to? So if I'm not like doing those things, I, I, I can get a lot of friction when I watch our fellow leaders, like say one thing with words and do another thing with their actions. And I, I think we have to eat some humble pie and be like, all right, where's the blind spots? Where am I not living out these things that I claim are our culture? And when I hear someone struggling with culture, I say, Let's take a look at what, what part of the mirror you're looking at. Are you really living out those things? Why would you expect your people to if you're not? Yeah, in our book, we're using a phrase called calling out the ugly. Um, and it's basically that concept that, you know, sometimes when we start, when we take a step back, we look at the kind of company we've built and we're like, 
I need to change this. I need to add these values. I need to start doing something different. That first moment is, is rough because they're like, well, you haven't done that in the past. And so just call it out. It's ugly. It's not something that we're proud of, but call it out. Let's work together. We're striving to be committed, committed to you, committed to our client, that, that accountability. I know you haven't seen it in the past, uh, but here we go. I like that what you said there, Jeremy. Like it's funny, you know. We 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 uh we have a motto that we date divorced people, and what I mean by that is that you know, in our service sector, like a lot of service sectors, people overpromise and underdeliver. So as a as a new client comes in, we always say, "Hey, listen, I get it. We're coming into a divorce situation." That's also true with team members. Like we can find out their story. Someone on our sales team came out of this awful toxic environment. And the things we were saying to him, he didn't believe. So we kind of had to keep walking him through it. Hey, bud, we're on your side. And, and if Chad's listening, he'll go, yeah, that was me. He's right. That, that, <laughs> that was the story we had to walk through. And you know what? I love him to pieces. But it took a while of him kind of, you know, like healing through an awful toxic situation. Generally, we do better with um, a farm system than we do free agency. But we'll both work, right? Both work. One, they each require one requires training out of the egg. The other one kind of requires counsel. They both require effort, and so we don't necessarily exclusively do one versus other. But we tend to do better in training than we do in counseling, I think. But um, we do both. So that brings up something that got me thinking about this idea of vulnerability inside of the office. How do you? How do you work towards getting people to trust you? I know it was a process, uh, but I, I could hear a lot of people listening to this going, yeah, but they're just hourly employees. I've got 200% turnover. They're not going to be here that long. So why invest the time? Why should I be vulnerable to them just so that I can eventually nurture this person into being an effective team member? Uh, I that question. I, I, first off, as I continue to get older as a dad and a leader of a large organization, the one thing I can tell you is my vulnerability impacts the quality of our organization. So let me break that down for you a little bit. If I'm willing to be honest, like I am on this show about things that happen around here or getting fired or things we didn't do right or where I let the team down, they're quick to come in and defend and do it because they love us. But I also would say, and I'm a dad. I've got kids. So they ask me a question. Tell us the craziest thing you did in college. Well, there's a maturity factor. Sometimes you talk to someone on your team at the level that they're ready to hear it. So maybe this hourly employee needs to hear some encouragement, hear when you were back there, walk them through where you screwed up. But at certain points, you can junk dump and you can give them too much and you shut them down. So as a leader, you got to find some maturity with being open and honest. Like, if I'm dealing with someone in my office and they're having a problem in their marriage, I'll share a part where Deb and I work through that. Now, I might not let I might not dishonor my marriage with Debbie by going over a certain line and having a inappropriate discussion about what were certain things, but I'll bring them up to that line. And I think sadly, I think what's being taught in the world is that your separate your life at home is different from your life in the office, and I think the leader of a business, they all go together. And I think the more authentic I can be, I just give room for other people to be it. And I think it starts with you. Like you say, oh, everyone should talk to each other. Well, do you? You know, do I? And if I don't, then why should I expect them to? So for me, I, I always have to go first. And I, I'll dive in. 
because I give a crap. I'll say, hey, I noticed you were kind of a jerk off the other day. What's going on? You okay? What's up? Like you wouldn't normally respond that way. Why are you responding that way? And then, you know, maybe tears start and maybe I have a tissue box in the office because things happen and, you know, like we talk and life hard, right? I mean, it's not a guy or girl thing. It's everybody. You know, I uh, was working with a team and uh, we got to the end of the year. They had really worked pretty hard at this vulnerability thing. And, you know, it starts with the leader, but then it's got to go to the leadership team as it starts to transfer down. And they had doubled net profit from 5.3 to 11.9 in one year. I actually 100,000% believe that. Like, I can tell you numbers of clients and people in our ecosystem that can say that. I can speak to that. The more I love that, Jeremy, I, I feel like I'm going to give you like a little star shout out and with my heart. That is spot on. Like we don't have to have a completely open books management system, but if we can be open with our hearts and like where I like let the team in and we have that then translated in, you know, where that really gets hard is when you allow that to happen. And then people um, in a loving way openly criticize your dents. So around here, the joke is make sure Vinny doesn't carry the ball because he might not take it all the way. Let's make sure someone else is doing it. He's too busy. Now, in my early days or where I'm tired or defensive, I hear that all wrong. Right? I hear that as an attack. But if I'm like, wait a minute, I'm the one who said, be careful about giving it to me. I'm a great starter. I'm an awful finisher. They know that. So they feel comfortable around me to be able to say that. They're not just trying to call me you know, bald and fat. They're trying to say, hey, careful. You know, that he's willing to joke about it. So why don't we bring it up and make sure that doesn't, that kind of stuff is what you're talking about, Jeremy, right? Like making oh. sure we can have open debate. I think, I really think leaders need to be able to, in the leadership team, there has to be open, healthy conflict. I'm always worried when it's like everyone's getting around and there's a campfire and there's not some healthy conflict. If Chris, Rachel and I, which are the three executive owners of the company, if we haven't had a tussle or two in a while, to me, I feel like we're disconnected. Absolutely. Yeah. And so with that, I was going to say, you know, as we are wrapping up the year and looking back at the success, you know, doubling that profit's a great thing. Yeah. You know, uh, who doesn't want to do that? And when they're picking the bet, the thing that was the biggest thing that they moved their company forward that year, that was not what they picked. Nice. I love one that. leader. One leader teared up and said, you know, we used to fight each other. Now we fight shoulder to shoulder, take on the world together. That net profit thing was just a bystand. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, really, profits are a result of something. They aren't they, they aren't the target. I love that. I love that. So you mentioned you've had some experiences with uh, seeing this and, you know, you're going through numbers and, and accounting. Give us some uh I'd love to hear a story of a, a a company that you wish you could have just stepped into. They're like, look, owner, if I could just get you to look at your people a little bit different, this number would be different. You know, you you run into it, and 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 I'm not here to say that we have a hundred percent like amazing clients. There are ones that it's the same indicator where the leader looks at his people as worse than a widget. You ever hear like destructive language? You're like, well, a monkey could do that. In cultures that act like that, where there, like, you know, there isn't an extreme appreciation for, you know, if you're a bookkeeper on our team, you aren't the leader of the CEO. You have a, a real defined role you like to do, but that man or woman takes great joy in doing that job. And her or his job 
is to reconcile something. Well, I don't ever want to do that. But I'm so thankful that, I'll just pick on one, Emily on our team wants to do that for our clients. And so amazing. Well, I hear people talk like, oh, well, that works kind of beneath me. You know, and a good friend of mine says, if servanthood is beneath you, then leadership is always going to be above you. And I think that rings true in like this stuff of destructiveness. Um, so when I think of a client, I can name, sadly, too many, where they rule from this like top, do it, um, it's all my way. Well, those businesses, they're, they're, they don't outgrow his shadow and they aren't going to last very long. And then when he burns out, that business is broken. And even more tragic than that, when that business owner turns around to see what the line looks like behind him, only the people who are standing there out of fear are going to be standing. So true. Actually, just this morning, I had a uh, call with one of my clients who's taking over one of their biggest competitors. And the owner of their competitor said, yeah, I just really, I don't know. I just didn't connect to these guys. I really have trouble connecting to them. And the owner is filing bankruptcy. Yeah, I'm not surprised. We just, you know, we're in, we have a season where we're in like this tuck in aqua growth. We're going to go out and acquire some firms and kind of tuck them underneath us and grow that way. And um, we got to look under the hood of a firm uh, in a, a southern eastern state. Uh, and we the, the numbers look good. The clientele look good. We started talking to their people. We find out every one of them didn't like the owner. There was like this underground toxicity in their own business. We passed because. We could have done it, but that would have been a lot of counseling. And so you're just careful about when you merge in DNAs, like, you know, which one takes. There's a scriptural reference that I love that says, you know, you don't stick new wine in an old skin. It's going to burst. And like, I just, I'm always careful about that. That's a dangerous thing. I was just going to say, one of the things we talk about in the book is really about creating this dynamic workplace, creating a healthy culture. And a lot of times what we've seen is in the work that I do, I'll go in and meet a new client and we'll start looking at their people and I'll say, who do you want to keep? Hmm. And they don't want to keep anybody because they've been hiring wrong this whole time. Or we'll figure out who they really want to be as an organization, identify their culture. And they'll be like, nobody here aligns that because we've never been hiring against that. So we talk a lot about how do you continue to build a team by hiring people? So I know you said you don't do a lot of hiring anymore, but I'm sure at one point in time you did. What are some things that you see happen now in, we're at what, 3.4% unemployment now, lowest in history, and people are getting harder to find. And one of the things I I talk about these uh, these serial interviewers, like they're masters at acing the interview and acing these questions because there's a Pinterest board or a website where they can just learn how to answer these questions, these very traditional interview questions. Where do you want to be in five years? What are your goals? What are some things that you've seen help to make sure that you're actually qualifying and hiring the right people to join your team so you don't create that toxicity? Well, we love what you guys are doing. So we created a gift page for you guys at fullyaccountable.com forward slash blue dash collar dash culture, where they can go get our books, resources, And in there, you'll get one CEO's mindset. What I want to talk about there is I give you very practical, go do these things and you can be like a ninja interviewer. And the thing I give you the most is how earlier we use the things that matter to us about our core values as the ninja way to ask questions. So we'll say stuff like, hey, who is um, your supervisor at your last job? 
and they'll say, oh, Carol. Okay, cool. Um, if I were to call Carol, what would she describe is the worst part of you? What's the worst part of you when you were working there? Like, I no longer made it about, hey, tell me about you. Like, now I've made it about, what is Carol going to say about you? Because they're like, hold on a second. Wait a minute. If you're going to call Carol, she's not going to line up with what I'm going to say to you. I'm actually going to be closer to answering that question. And then we go down that vein where we, we don't. We don't say, hey, you know, how do you feel about being honest? Well, who isn't going to say, you know, honesty is the core of my heart. I want to make sure I'm really honest. We'll, we'll get into the opposite of that because everybody lies unless they just lied and lying. Now they just lied. So everyone mm -hmm. does. So let's talk about when you did. Let's talk about when you did, when you actually did your worst thing at work, the meanest thing you said to somebody. We reverse our values on their head to find out the person who's posing in the interview. Now, hey. We believe in a motto because we get this wrong. We're not, we, there are very good interviewers out there. Like we got to put some benefit of that. So in underemployment, like we are right now, we believe you got to be quick to fire, which means you also, if you're going to be quick to hire, that you, once you know, they got to go. They, they, you, there's, there's only been one successful resurrection. Everyone else has been a copycat ever since. And I bite on it every time. There is no such thing. And like, if you know they got to go, everyone's like, crap, he's right. I have tried so many times with her or him and it doesn't work. You just got, we have to have a thing around here that once you know, they, they really do have to go. And I know that's tough with underemployment. You're like, hey man, that sounds like a luxury saved for like when there was a lot of people to hire. Well, you know what? Our culture is always better when we get rid of the toxic. The people who are there rise up. It gets figured out every time and so we give people chances we believe in walking two miles if they go a mile i'm not saying don't do that what i'm saying is even if they slip through the cracks and you do all these great interviewing things that that your tips have we can give your people please take advantage of those then just be quick to let them go and start again like if you're not a loser you just missed that one get right back in and try again yeah, I had a client that for about eight months, they had a horrible turnover in their service department and they could not figure out what it was. They thought it was the low unemployment. It was a lack of options. Mm -hmm. And when it came out, the, the operations manager was actually the problem. There was something that came up. He got caught. They let him go. And all of a sudden it was like the fog had lifted from the service department. People were happy again. And they're like, finally, the owner has seen it. Like, this is not you know, this is what was causing this problem was this one toxic individual. And now, you know, four months later, five months later, things are just humming. People are happy. Profits are up. Business is up. I mean, everything's going really well. Yeah, and it's just... The top one is, Ryan, the top hmm. one, because the world we live in services, it seems like services always have a family member involved, mm -hmm. right? And so I still have to go home and spend Thanksgiving with that person, or I have to go see them at Susie's wedding. That dynamic, that's a whole other show. Now, that, that one's tough, but I think it should be the same thing. I think families don't do a good job of actually having an honest business discussion. They, it, it creates this dissension in the workplace. And if you have one of those situations, ah, Yeah, firing your brother-in-law is never fun. So, never fun. Uh, but, uh, you know, one of the things that I see when they struggle with that, because especially as businesses are growing, they're bringing in family members. When you get really clear and really objective about what their responsibility is and what their roles are, it's no longer a you screwed up. It's like, here's what you agreed you would do and you didn't do it. So now let's look at the, pro the, the problem is, the, is the, 
the lack of results. The problem is not you're a horrible person. And then it, I think a lot of that goes. it was also the lack of clarity of the role coming in. So you actually put them in a position not to win. Mm. Right. And so that's, I, I can't believe there's like this inordinate amount of family or close friends that fall into that quarter. Hey, bro, just come work with me. It's going to be great. And whatever euphoric part of the family or friend relationship doesn't translate into the job I need you to do. I love that clarity of role. Sometimes we hire because we like somebody and we don't have a clear role. And we we almost make him or her dead man walking. Yeah, a clear role and clear defined success. Success, you know, there's a lot of, there's just a lot, I can lead a lot better when I'm very clear on what I'm supposed to lead you to. But you can do your job a lot better when you know exactly what the success in that job looks like. Yep. We read, the, a number of years ago, I read a, a good book called like Measure What Matters. And in there, he, what he, what he, what he kind of led me down a role is, and Harvard did a gigantic study that he kind of lays out in the book. And it, every, the number one reason today that people leave their job is they don't have a clear objective way to measure whether they're doing a good job. And so his suggestion, which we do at our company, what I, I highly recommend, is every person should have one objective indicator to be able to measure performance in their own job. You know, and that separate apart from hearing good job from Vinny, do they have a clear indicator to be able to measure their job? 60% of people will leave their job without that indicator. And that's a big deal. It's, it's absolutely, it's huge. Um, you know, I remember the first time that an employee called me and said, we nailed it out of the park this week. And they were actually right, you know, because <laughs> too often they're coming up, boss, I'm doing so good. I'm crash, bang, boom. Don't you hear all the noise going on? And you're like, yeah, we're not getting very far. I'm about ready to fire you. <laughs> but I can't tell you that right now. So we, uh, we use a scorecard, making sure that uh, everybody has at least one number that they can drive forward. You know, I used to worry because I came from a corporation where my number was 5202, it's tattooed. No, I'm just joking about that part of it. But, um, but you know, it was like you were in there and they didn't care that I was Jeremy. They cared that I was 5202. And so I always, when I first started out and wanting to create this great culture and all this stuff, I, I didn't want to give people numbers because I didn't want to make them a number. What I learned was you have to give them a number to make them a winner. Because you don't win at a game you're not keeping score at. Mm. And so are your teams playing to win? Do they know what success looks like? Can they knock it out of the park for you? Can they be proud of what they did when they go home? And if we don't provide that clarity, they can't. Yeah, and we also use that as make sure they understand their job. So for example, like if you say to your CFO, hey, what's your, no what's your number one indicator? And if he doesn't say profit margin, then he doesn't understand his primary job, right? So you take that through anything. Like you talk to a customer service person, if their number one indicator isn't call time on hold for the client, then they missed what their actual indicator was. So each job has one. Sometimes you'll, you know, you let's go back to the CFO. You say, hey, what's your number one indicator? You know, we want to make sure that people show up to work on time. All right, hold on a second. Wait a minute. You, you got, that's good, but you don't actually, you're not focused on your job. So we use it that way too. Absolutely. No, and not too many numbers either. Yeah. You know, he gave you that specific number and that's what they're driving for. You know, I see some people like have 15 numbers that they're accountable for. Well, of course I'm going to forget something. Exactly. I can't manage that.
All right. Well, hey, uh, Vinny, we're almost at time. And so I want to thank you for joining us here today. I've really enjoyed the conversation. I've learned some great things about culture and just the different ways to approach values and how you think about it, and how you can really make sure that you're qualifying people the right way. So it's been fantastic. How do our listeners get a hold of you if they want to learn more about Fully Accountable? Yeah, so yeah, I'm, I'm very accessible socially. So vinnyfisher.com on all the social media prints, you can find me. You can also just go to fullyaccountable.com. But even better than that, forward slash blue hyphen or dash collar dash culture. We created a page just for your people. Please take advantage of those things. They are free. There's no bait and switch. They're all yours. We would love to send them to you, but they can get us there. They, once they land on our homepage, they can hit contact us. Our team is uh, makes me accessible. And uh, so we would, we, I, I really want more of us winning at kind of leading well. And the last little bit I'd like to leave someone with is like, if, if, if there's a dip, if there's a separation between you and them, that isn't healthy, I actually think you're the problem, not them. Deep thoughts right at the end there. Thank you so much, Vinny. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, and I look forward to getting some feedback on, you know, what people have to say about some of the books and some of the other handouts that you guys have available for them. Sounds like a great, valuable offer. Thank you for that. Thanks for having me, guys. Really appreciate it. The Blue Collar Culture Podcast is sponsored by bluecollarculture.com. We help entrepreneurs create a healthy culture and build a self-managing business. To learn more, go to bluecollarculture.com.